Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Mr. Bryant Tao, who is the Chief Security Officer at LeapFrog Services. For over 25 years, Bryant has held responsibilities as an entrepreneur and senior executive in all aspects of risk management. Currently, Bryant and his team assist clients with complete security programs that include strategy, governance, and operations, and focus on managing risk within LeapFrog's ring of security methodology. We're going to talk a little bit about what that is, uh, and we're going to talk about some of the key IT changes that are in store for us for 2023 and several other things. But before we do that, I want to say hi to Brian. Brian, how are you today? Doing awesome, man. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, whereabouts are you located? Um, LeapFrog Services is uh, on North Root Hills in Atlanta. I actually live in Nashville. Uh, and have been here off and on for most of my life. That's awesome. I um I've never been to Nashville. I mean, I've been all over our country. I've never been to Memphis or Nashville. And considering all the good music and traditions, I got to get through there. Um, is life all back to normal since uh, post COVID life? I mean, yeah. Well, being in Tennessee, life was back to normal probably five six <laughs> months uh, ahead of everybody else. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I mean really every now and then every now and then you'll see uh, see some somebody in a mask or something like that and uh you know hopefully those that are protecting themselves maybe they're high risk or something like that but yeah so you would you would really never know uh that we were that we went through all the stuff that we went through at that time right yeah no it's crazy i was out um to a little lounge last friday night and i mean it was just elbow to elbow it was completely packed and i was like oh my god this is so weird you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> we, we were you know everything was shut down and now it's just full full bound back on back open so, hey, um, Brian, you know, I, I, before we get started, um, I'd like to do a level set and maybe you can talk a little bit about your definition of cybersecurity and then we'll start to get into some of the, the, the other topics. Sure. Um, well, OK, so I've, as you mentioned in, in the, uh, the marketing thing, right, you know, wouldn't my mother be proud bio uh, in doing this <laughs> as long as I have, right? Yeah. Um, the issue that I have essentially uh, built a career around, Mark, is, is kind of surprising to most people when we talk about uh, cybersecurity. Um, and that is that um, over half of your attack service, uh, attack service is non-technical, right? So we hear about cyber and you hear, uh, you know, CSOs and the like talk about uh, you know, log4j or, you know, take your, your pick on, on the attack of the day. However, when you do the root cause analysis on any of the headline breaches, uh, I've been using the, uh, the Equifax breach, and that was getting stale, so fortunately Rackspace has come up and now given me uh, something a little, more, a little more current to talk about. Um, those, those issues are 90, probably 8% uh, program in nature. Um, right. So uh, I mentioned I used the Equifax breach. Those patches had been released for six months. So, yeah, right. they got creamed. Uh, but that's not a technical problem, Mark. There's um, uh, it was a change management, was a lack of resources, lack of attention. You know, something about that program failed uh, in such a way that caused that that to happen to them. And now Absolutely. with the Rackspace, now with the Rackspace breach, uh, the 
there's been, been no official declaration, but if you're in the business, you know that those zero-day uh, exchange vulnerabilities uh, came out, uh, uh, whatever the time is, uh, three months ago, right? Whatever that time was, two months ago. Uh, and as a service provider hosting exchange, I mean, that was our immediate mission was all hands on deck, get these things patched and get them fixed and or get them isolated, right? Whatever compensating controls when there's zero days, you have an incident response plan, again, governance, right? So you have all those things in place to be able to take care of that. And uh, if those things are not in place, uh, you end up with, uh, with the rack space issue, right? So when you ask me about my take, on cybersecurity, I have to, in order to be effective in protecting not only uh, the leapfrog uh, assets, uh, but all of our managed customers uh, operationally and our uh, basic and advanced stack uh, security customers as, as well from an operational side, right? Definitely. You know, I, I totally agree with you. <clears throat> when I first got into the space, I was under the impression as well that it was all super technical and, you know, you had to be a PhD in computer science to step into a CISO role. But the, you know, your description is much more accurate in terms of what the reality is. A lot of times CISOs actually don't even have a super deep technical background, but they're very good at like program management, right? Understanding what policies they need to get in place. Um, assigning responsibility for uh, executing those policies and then <clears throat> and then doing some type of audit or some type of follow-up to make sure that they're doing it. And, you know, if a patch has been released for six months and in the case of Equifax and nobody, you know, flagged it, that's an issue. That's a, that's a, that's a process issue, right? Um, and yeah. It and is. so, so, so then if, if that's the case though, then when you engage with um, your customers or prospective customers, you know, how do you go about recognizing one that there is an issue there with their processes? Okay. Um, and then, and then rectifying it. Okay, great. Okay. okay. So I'm going to answer that, that question in, in, in two, two phases, if you will. So the first of all is, is knowing, uh, you know, having an, a legitimate business impact analysis right a legitimate i mean understanding of where the keys to the kingdom are um, most of the uh, we'll call them more technical CISOs are more uh, attack oriented in that well we know this vulnerability that vulnerability or this sort of you know this apt all those things right they, they, and so they're protecting it against those things um, rather than looking at it from the business on its way out, right? So what is what is the most important thing? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tie together process as we were talking about and and the risks and how we protect it. Uh, and and kind of forward looking and compensated controls all in all in one uh, example that we're actually in process with right now. So uh, a longtime customer of Leapfrog, uh, we're now uh, we have built out their 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 program. Uh, we're going to run and maintain state, and so we go through third party risk, right? Again, program. Uh, well, we have a a set of servers that happen to be thirty, I believe the number thirty two percent of the overall revenue of this company uh, goes through those servers, right? So that is obviously very high risk, high touch. Okay. Uh, so point number one, point number two, well, as part of our third party risk program, when we do our diligence on that vendor, they flat out refused, Mark, to um, to respond to any of our requests. So I want to know 
what's on it. I want to know the application. I need to know the coding you know, language. I need to know what are your uh, security protocols on um, when you create the language. Are your people OWASP, right? Where, I mean, tell me about what's going on inside this server. Um, and they absolutely refused, refused to respond to anything. All right. Uh, is that because they, they so, felt that that was that, that that type of information is just too sensitive to share with uh, with a vendor? It could be anything. In my experience, when when somebody uh, refuses to answer those questions, it's largely because they don't have the answers. Uh, and if they don't have the answers, they're going to lose business. And if they if that is the case, that has to be my my presumption is that they don't. So now I'm in a position where not only do I have to protect this server because it's 30 some percent of the, our, our revenue for our client, but now I have to protect myself from it. Right. Because I don't know what's in it. And if these guys, I mean, solar winds, right? Everybody knows the solar winds attack. There was there. They are the poster child for a, uh, a supply chain attack. And if this server gets compromised or, or uh, through a patch or something that they sent to it because they got hit and then my network gets hit because of it. Now I've got to protect myself, protect the server itself, but also protect myself from that server. So we go back to the business and we're like, you know, here's the situation. Uh, you know, you have a business decision to make. Uh, switch companies? Well, no, that's that's a lot, right? So mm -hmm. um, that's not an option. Okay. Uh, alternatively, here's our plan. So we're going to isolate that server, put it on its own segment, right? Do all the things that we need to do. So if it does blow up, it doesn't see anything. Uh, it cannot traverse anywhere else on our network, right? So we are doing the things that we need to do to protect ourselves from the server the same way as we protect ourselves um, or protect the server uh, itself. And the point I want to make to all of that is 100% of that is program, right? Number one, to your point, having a business impact analysis knowing where the keys to the kingdom are, knowing that that is a such a large portion of our business that we need to give it the diligence that it requires to keep the business up and running, right? Number two, part of the program is third-party risk, right? We all would agree that third-party and fourth-party even, because um, uh, highly likely that that company is outsourcing a certain amount of their hosting and whatever to a to another party. Now I've got a fourth party risk to, to be concerned about. I wouldn't know that because they're not answering the questions. Uh, right. But because we have a governance program in place and a regular cadence of third party risk, tier one, tier two, tier three, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, now I feel like um, that we have a, a, a solid story to tell to the business and the board of directors. Uh, to get the funding necessary and the equipment necessary to do what we need to do to properly protect that server. So when something actually does happen, uh, um, as I famously say to everybody, we turn it into an eye roll uh, instead of a run down the street with your hair on fire moment, right? So the catering server got got creamed. Okay, well we've got um, we've got flash backups uh, that we can uh, wipe it, build up a new VM or whatever we need. To Right, and then push that back down. Uh, it's isolated. We know for a fact that there's no not a physical possibility for it to get anywhere else. And I've got now uh, roughly a, a 20 minute recovery time on that server. Right, so that's all of that is programmed. There's not you didn't hear me say in any part of that a command line. Right, it's all program yeah. and governance. Makes a, a ton of sense. As, um, basically, you know, you, you want to be aware of what you have, then you have to figure out your priorities, um, where you're going to place your bets, 
then you have to execute the plan and then you get peace of mind or at least a little bit right otherwise uh, like you said i roll yeah, versus it, uh yeah um when you're doing this you know in the, in the initial phases like i would i guess you could call it the discovery uh, phase that's exactly how much, what we call it that's right okay how much of that is automated versus is you know going through a endless list of questions yeah okay um so obviously you automate what you can uh things that can be automated are basic vulnerability scans uh patching can be automated to a certain degree right so you automate what what you can uh and then you very closely monitor logs uh for confirmation uh you uh, routinely routinely test and confirm right trust but verify um so you can automate those things uh what you can't automate is creating a culture of security inside the organization, right? You can push out training once a year and every study that's ever been done will confirm that's a fail, uh, right? Because that, that data goes stale inside uh, your organization, typically within weeks. It has to be a regular dose of, of those kind of things. So you can't really automate that. Um, you can put things on a regular cadence for sending out you know, emails and phishing testing and th those kind of things. So maybe, maybe a, a little bit of that. Um, Third-party risk, as I mentioned, you can have regular cadences for that as well. Um, but that's really tough to automate because every vendor is going to be different uh, in some way, right? So you've got some vendors that are going to be, you know, tier one, tier twos that are their hosting vendors or providers uh, or software as a service, um, you know, the work days of the world and those kind of things. Um, and then you're going to have other vendors uh, that are just simply doing some basic hosting or backups. So who knows what? All the way down to uh, the cleaning vendors that uh, where they're sending in cleaning crews that have access uh, potentially to where all, all of your endpoints are, right? So how are you how are you handling that? So those things can be uh, automated to some degree, but put on but they have to be physically touched and physically managed, uh, audited, uh, monitored, and 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 those kind of things. So I would say you can probably automate about. 15, 20% of the technical side of it, but it even still takes the output of that automation still has to be verified. So there still has to be a, a good deal of human capital uh, that goes into that for it to be effective. Well, then for the parts that can't be automated, I guess even, even though those parts, but um, in general, how long does it take to get through the discovery phase? And let's just, I mean, you can, you can give scenario a company's size with, you know, multiple locations, et cetera, but just kind of create the context and then um, explain like how long the process usually takes. Yeah. So um, that's a bit like asking how much does a car cost? Right, because you know, are we a Formula One trying to hit 200 miles an hour, or are we trying to get grandma to the grocery store? Um, right. So, based on the size of business, if we set a context, uh, and and a lot of people want to do this by employee count. So, so we have 200 employees. Well, if you have a 200 employee law firm, there's highly likely you've got 600 IP touch points, right? Because they've got a mobile device, uh, a laptop, maybe a desktop, who knows what else. Uh, but if you have the same amount of employees uh, in a manufacturing firm, a good, a good uh, portion of those are non-technical, you may have 30. So it's very, very difficult uh, to do that by employee type. Um, and then the other element to that too is the number of compliance targets, right? So if you have a publicly right. traded hospital, uh, so you've got, gosh, right? PCI, HIPAA, high tech, right? I mean, go down the list of alphabet soup of all the compliance targets that they may have. 
Um, so that requires a good portion of, of discovery uh, as well. So that's a very, very difficult question to answer. Uh, but I will say this. Um, it's it's almost um, it's very, very consistent in the amount of discovery that you have to review to the amount of remediation that has to be done. Um, so, for example, if we have a whole lot of discovery because we have a whole lot of policies, procedures and those kind of things to review. Um, chances are there's not a lot of remediation because their program is likely very mature in that. But if we have very, very little to review, chances are their program is not very mature uh, and therefore there's a lot of remediation work to do. It's almost almost finite in that in that spectrum and just where on that spectrum are you? So very little remediation typically means a lot of, uh, of discovery. Uh, and vice versa, right? So it's very interesting that way. Um, small, medium business. I mean, if you're, let's let's call it touch points. If you're two to 300 touch points, um, discovery can typically be done uh, with one, maybe two compliance targets in probably three to four weeks, just to be the most direct answer. Gotcha. You, you know, earlier you talked about the uh, a culture of security and it, it's, it's really amazing. I see it organization by organization. Uh, but more um, country by country. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I lived overseas, um, places like Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and it's amazing the the difference. And I, I kind of feel like, especially on the West Coast of the U.S., um, cybersecurity is becoming increasingly important, um, and it's 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 not even something that really needs to be what uh, emphasized in terms of everybody understands that they have a kind of, uh, they have a role to play. I don't care what your job right. is. I mean, even if, you, yeah. even if you're non -tech technical, you still have to pay attention to who walks in the front door, right? Um, so, but can you give some examples of best practices for taking a company that doesn't have a culture of security and, and you know, making that really, really important in that organization? Sure, um, okay, so, I'm going, to, I'm going to go two different ways with this. So for, first of all, um, it, it, there's and it's almost come uh, become cliche that tone from the top, right? Um, having executives uh, that that have the buy-in, that that believe in it, uh, that uh, that will both uh, resource and support a culture. That's kind of where where it comes from. Um, so operationally, we I call it small doses where we're doing emails on a regular basis uh, that talk about you know current threats or something. Okay, so we're coming into the holiday season. Uh, so recently our clients are getting uh, email notifications uh, that uh, just a bit of education, right? Watch out for those uh, spam emails that are coming in or spear phishing emails even um, that are that come from Amazon or eBay and such because uh, Sally's doll is not going to arrive on time and you need to click here uh, to get that problem resolved, right? So, so the ideas are they're, they're going to try to raise the heart rate, you know, make you panic a little bit uh, in such a way that. Um, you're going to do something that you otherwise wouldn't do. So, um, so having those kind of uh, communications and those kind of things go out on a regular basis are uh, are, are very helpful. Um, another one might surprise you. One of the things uh, that I've done for clients for many many years is to provide a uh, an internal training on uh, say cyberbullying or something, you know, how do we protect our kids uh, online at home, 
and people come to that. They're very, very interested. Um, so the basic practices that you teach during those things are basic practices that, that walk right back through the front door and raise the culture inside the business. Right. When you pull out the mommy and the daddy clause, right? So how yeah. are these cyber things affecting our children? And it becomes more and more real uh, to them. Those basic practices become part of their day-to-day -day thought and they bring those practices back into the business. And I've, I can show you time and time again where spear phishing test uh, results uh, becomes so much better. Uh, basic catching of, of, I mean, to all of those kind of things that, that you would expect, uh, increase exponentially with the company supporting a how do you keep yourself on uh, safe online at home. Um, so there's there, there's little things like that that a lot of people don't don't think about that build culture, right? Because culture is not just you know affecting the way somebody thinks about cybersecurity. It affects uh, it affects your employees about how they feel. Uh, about it and mm -hmm. they then when you attach that to their home life that that's those skills that you're teaching and that thought process that you're teaching through that that walks right back through the front door um, and they're using that uh, in such a way that it also also protects the company you know I, I think that's a great approach I've never thought about that but you know you're just taking something and then repackaging it in a way that makes it more attractive or interesting to your target audience and yeah, I can I can just imagine somebody getting an email saying, "Hey, uh, we've got a training today on corporate IT security. Uh, be there." And it'd be like, "Oh man, yeah, another one of these." But but yeah. you know, if you package it in the way you said, where it's like, you know, how to protect your children from um, cyberbullying or any some something related to that, um, I I'd, I'd sign up. You know, I'd want yeah. I want to know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and you want to do that opposite. So October is cybersecurity month, right? So every everybody seems to do their 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 training in in October to attach themselves to this arbitrary date that I, I guess NIST or somebody said. Um, but either way, you want to do that opposite. You know, within three, four, five, six months opposite of when you do your regular annual annual training, right? And keep those kind of things fresh, fresh and 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 top of mind. Right. So, I mean, so my point to all that, Mark, is when you're thinking about these things, you have to think about culture, right? Culture mm -hmm. is not what people do, it's how they feel. And getting cyber ingrained into them in such a way that they're, they, they're, they know not to click on things, right? And, and it, it almost becomes laughable. Uh, you know, I hear people in, in break rooms talking about, you know, and they, they think I'm stupid enough to click on this or something like that, right? Those, those kind of things come out. And that's what you want, right? I mean, we even do uh, something that we call a cyber palooza. Okay. Uh, where we take a, uh, you know, during our cybersecurity week, uh, where we take a cube and uh, from my work with the with the bureau, I've got you know FBI crime tape, but we kind of put over the cube and a red light in there, and we put violations um, in the uh, in the cube, right? Thumb drives being left around, uh, uh, private information being left on the desk, uh, right? Those those kind of things uh, around, and we have have people fill out a form and, and name all the things and then give them a, a, a gift card or something like that, right? So whatever the budget is for that organization. Um, oh, and people cheat. They get in there and they'll they'll be in the break room. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't see that. I needed to go. And that's awesome. That's exactly what you want, right? You want them talking about it. And if it's cheating, fine. What? Whatever, uh, right? We just want them. To, we want them to be discussing it and uh, you know going along along those lines, right? So it's it's very fun that way. That that's awesome. I 
I was just thinking about, you know, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as cybersecurity from, you know, from the personal point of, of view, right? It was just like, because, you know, <laughs> who, we, you know, we just started having, um, you know, PCs. And, and so this, this, you know, getting people my generation to adopt secure practices, I think might take a more work or, you know, historically took more work than, because when I watch my younger children's, uh, them with interact with their peers, it's almost, it's like they've acquired, hopefully they've acquired this kind of a healthy suspicion of yeah. anything that, that, that looks unusual and they're able to, to navigate and they, and they do share information and they do, like you said, they do laugh about it. They're like, Oh, look at this. Um, and that, that's kind of cool. And I hope we get to the point where, um, it, it's just, everybody's, everybody's aware. Yeah. So it's been really interesting to me. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this a, a, a long time. Um, how the internet and cybersecurity has, has, um, followed, um, transportation transportation security right because we all use public roads right uh, we all suspect to some degree that there's going to be regulation uh on it speed limits and and you know signages and and, and those kind of things uh and then how we use them what's our responsibility uh for you know safe you know choosing a safe car wearing seat belts and and those kind of things so what what you were saying there what what brought that to mind was the seat belt analogy that i've i've been using for years yeah right so 30 years ago 40 years ago we didn't have seat belts in cars right maybe 50 i don't know i'm getting and, and if you did have one and you put it on how uncool were you right right exactly <laughs> exactly now if you don't put your seatbelt on, regardless of the, the the thing that screams at you constantly, the driver's going to look at you like you're an idiot if you don't put your seatbelt on. Absolutely. Because the culture and the education and everything that's gone in around the you know, whatever, and, and that has turned into laws in most places, right? Those kind of things have forced people to put put seatbelts on. And now it's just not even a thing. When you get in the car, you put the seatbelt on. And I think internet security... Uh, has gone very much that way, and it's evolving very similarly to to the way uh, uh, transportation has evolved. Almost to the point, there was a study that I came across last week, uh, and there was a whole bunch of statistics, and I don't really pay that much attention. I, I look at trends uh, mm -hmm. on those kind of things, on the statistics, not necessarily the, the individual one, but this one stuck with me, um, that 60% of uh, online shopping carts are abandoned if there are not proper security controls. Meaning, wow. if there's not a CAPTCHA or something uh -huh. that you have to click on, uh, right, or there's not a two-factor thing, or there's not there's not some type of a security control before they're going to put their credit card in, 60% of carts are abandoned without security controls on them. And that really stuck, that really stuck with me. Like I said, I'm not really, I don't bury myself in statistics. I look at the trends. Um, but what that, what that told me is that if you want to have a business really, and, or if you certainly want to have competitive advantage in that business, you're expected in your online, you're expected now in your online presence. Uh, to have security controls in, in place because your consumers are now expecting that to be there and want to be properly protected, which means that the convenience factor has now fallen way to the security factor in the culture 
I think that blew yeah. my mind. That's the first time I've ever heard that. That's that's amazing. And if you think about the amount of missed business or lost business just because they didn't have one of those uh, security yeah. protocols in place is, is huge. But it's also cool that the general public is becoming more aware and is starting to require that and then prioritizing that. I mean, I know that um, a lot of the websites still, for example, in Japan, they don't have HTTPS. Uh, I I won't go to those. If I see, if I'm talking to a potential customer or, or a business partner, and if they haven't, you know, upgraded their website, made it secure, that that already immediately raises a couple flags for me, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, so um, I think it's it's really becoming important. And I do like the the analogy related to um, our transportation systems. And when you were talking through the seatbelt thing, I just was remembering, sort of transportation related. Do you remember? I mean, people used to be able to smoke on airplanes. I mean, how crazy oh, yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> My kids are like, no way. I was like, yeah, you could just light up. Um, hey, so what? Are, from where you sit, what are some of the key changes that you're going to see related to IT in 2023? Uh, the most important thing from a security perspective, I know you said said IT, but me being focused purely in in, in security, um, and actually it, it it affects a lot of the IT, IT things. So we used to. Uh, and, and still do, of course, to some degree, we're chasing compliance targets, right? We're PCI, right? Go down the list, uh, HIPAA, high tech, like we talked about before. Cyber insurance is the new compliance. That's the state, right? Um, as cyber, uh, I mean, you almost have to have a cyber policy now. Uh, cyber insurance rates are going through the roof and um, claims are all over the place. So we deal with a lot of this kind of thing in answering these uh, answering these questions for our clients that 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 we manage. Um, so whereas you know it used to be best business practices and those kind of things, but if you want to have a cyber policy, and chances are, you know it's as cliche as it is, it's not if but when, um, and you don't have the right the right coverage. Um, you know, keeping in mind that insurance job, that their job to their shareholders is to not pay you. Um, and they're going to look for every possible way uh, to, uh, to to find fault with what you've done or, or find fault with that uh, that incident, in, in other words, to uh, to keep from having to having to pay. So the main thing I mean, for, for me is is cyber insurance is the new is the new compliance. OK, have you seen any of the carriers offering discounts to their customers uh, based upon their their level of their security posture or by going through some type of assessment, whether the security, excuse me, the insurance company provides the assessment or if it's something that the customer can actually just show them, hey, you know, we, we went through this uh, ring of security methodology and here's where we started, here's where we ended up. Can we get a discount on our rates, our premiums? Have you seen anything like that? Uh, I'm gonna say all of them, However, the way they manifest themselves are a little bit different. Okay, so it may or may not be a quote discount, but it'll be a different rate class or something like that. Uh, or they're just simply not going to write you, right? Um, so they're going to ask you. They used to just ask you, "Do you have two-factor authentication?" Well, that question in and of itself is inadequate because we have how many access points. So you can have two-factor authentication. 
authentication on your email, but not on your VPN. And, you know, that's obviously more wide open. Um, so depending on the insurance company and how they write it, um, the questionnaires have become a lot more intrusive into they want not just uh, specific tactics on do you have, uh, but where is it? How are you using it kind of a thing, right? Um, and then uh, you know, any number of things, policy, procedure, password, uh, uh, complexity, right? All of those kind of things. So, you know, pretty standard questions that they ask. Um, and if you don't meet all of the requirements, um, then either A, they won't write you, or B, they'll put you in a different rate class uh, because you're a, a different risk. Um, some of them will say that it's a discount, and Travelers has that, um, that we deal with stuff, uh, AIG and Chubb. Uh, do more of the rate class thing. Um, but uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, across the board, if you have a robust security posture and a mature security program, uh, you are going to get a better rate, whether it's through a discount or rate class or something like that. Okay, understood. Let's um, let's turn it around. If you're working with one of your customers and you want to give them some advice in terms of how to get the best policy for them, what are some of the key things that they should be looking at with a policy? Sure. So most of the things that the insurance companies are asking are basic security practices, right? Um, so, you know, are you doing training? Well, if you're doing annual training, check that box, yes. Uh, but we all know, as we just talked about, annual training is, is basically uh, ineffective and we're, when we need to strive more towards, towards culture. Um, you know, I mean, we mentioned two-factor authentication. Are you doing that? Where is it? How is that? How is that, that located? Most of the insurance questions are, like I said, basic basic practices. So if you follow, um, you know, an 800-53 or a 27001 or any of those, if you get pretty close, uh, chances are you'll you'll do well on your uh, on your insurance exam, um, right? Got it. So, but in terms of the policy itself, are there any things or items that you would, you know, want to make sure that are included in the policy, you know, whether it's minimum or, or maximum uh, policy value versus um, certain conditions where they would pay out versus not paying out? Are there, have you seen any kind of like potential flags that, hey, you know what, if this is in your policy, you might want to go back and talk to your provider? Yeah, there's several, there have been several companies out there that the restrictions on the payouts have been so tight, uh, it's almost reached the level of scam. Uh, most of those are the, the very basic, they're the $5 million policies that go for somewhere between four dollars and $5,000 a year and they don't pay. Um, most of the restrictions around payment are uh, uh, client, uh, client negligence. It's probably the best way to say it, right? So when somebody clicks on something, something happens. Well, if you hadn't clicked on that, then that wouldn't have happened and your training or whatever. Uh, so we're not going to pay you. Uh, when, you know, 70, 80% of the ransomware attacks come through email and somebody clicking on something, uh, right? And they 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 know that. Uh, so really got to watch out for client negligence would be my, 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 my the first one. Um, you know, and, and back on the questionnaires, they're going to ask you about patching, uh, right? So if you haven't patched in six months, going back to the first part of our conversation, and those patches had been available and you didn't patch and you got hacked, 
uh, your insurance company is highly likely not going to pay uh, because that's going to come back again to uh, client negligence, which points back again to what program do you have underneath uh, all of this to make sure everything is happening um, the way it needs to happen, right? Definitely. And makes a lot of sense. You know, so you mentioned uh, cyber insurance is the new compliance. That's one key trend in IT security for 2023. Any other big changes that uh, you'd like to talk about? Yeah, one more for sure. Um, the in the in our world, in our security world, we call the war in Ukraine. We call it the hybrid war. Um, you don't ever see that in the mainstream media. Uh, you know, the war in Ukraine, whatever. And, and the only thing that you hear about there are the kinetic attacks, uh, I think today or yesterday, you know, the drone strike that put a million and a half people out of power. Um, you hear those kind of things, right? What you don't hear about is the cyber war uh, that's going on. So the first couple, two or three months of all that was mostly just um, uh, activist groups. Uh, there was really no nation state actors uh, involved. Um, the general thought in the market was the general fear of we don't know what the other one has from a cyber perspective. We don't want to open up that that can of worms, so to speak, and then get contra and then get counterattacked and so forth. Right. So now the nation state actors are very actively involved, um, not doing a whole lot. However, there are tools over there that are being developed uh, and distributed on the dark web uh, for power grids. Right? Okay, so translate that into Internet of Things. So translate that into the tools are being uh, developed at an accelerated rate uh, because there is a war going on and, you know, uh, mothers or necessity is the mother of all, all inventions, uh, as we all know. So they are actively developing cyber tools up there to try to get a leg up on the war so the activity and tool development and distribution is highly accelerated that translates into others picking up those tools um, on the dark web and then using them uh, across the world right so specifically on I, uh, iot type targets um, in the us we've seen a spike in those and i think as long as this this war goes on uh, as and you have a very vested interest by well-resourced nation-state actors to develop these tools, those tools are going to be made available, um, and then they will be sent out into uh, we'll call it the public, but on the dark web, right? So people pick those those things up. They will improve upon them, uh, also at an accelerated rate. And then for you, so the point is, is that these tools, because of the war being developed, and therefore they're being used back against. Um, uh, government and commercial uh, uh, um, entities uh, here in the U.S. And, and around the world. So anytime you have something like that and you have accelerated tools, you have people out there that can pick them up, approve upon them, and, and distribute and use them. Yeah, it's some pretty scary stuff. And again, like when I first got into this space, I had several misconceptions. And one of them was that, you know, to be a hacker, you again, you had to be like this uh, tech whiz. And now you just see hacking as a service or cyber cyber crime as a service. Uh, people like any any anybody can just go on the dark web and either buy the technology or even outsource the operation of the technology. It's, you know, pay, tell them your target, and and you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty scary. Um, and I don't I don't see I don't see how we can ever get to the end of that kind of situation. Uh, you know, because I've talked to people who that that's what they do is that, you know, they operate in that space and they say, as soon as you shut down, you know, one, one 
point of entry, they they can you know switch to 15 others. So it's yeah. uh, it's not going to go away tomorrow. That's for sure. Well, it's not going to go away ever. Uh, and as as long as it makes money, uh, it's going to keep making money. And as long as there uh, are people. Um, the interesting thing about that to me is we would say, uh, you know, compromised morals or something like that. Uh, but there are so many nation state actors that see the U.S. especially as being um, entitled, having more than we need or whatever you want to say about that, that it's their nine to five job. Mm -hmm. They have no no guilt at all about taking money from Americans and just because that's their culture. Um, so as long as that exists and it makes money, this is going to be out there. And as organized crime uh, continues uh, to grow, I mean, the last statistic I heard, uh, which I said, you know, I don't really follow statistics, but um, about 40, somewhere between 40 and 45 percent uh, of all the ransomware comes from two, two organizations, uh, which I found really, really interesting. And I would expect that number to continue to grow from those guys as they get more operationally efficient. Um, right. So it's, it's not going to end as long as it makes money, it's going to be there. So our job uh, is to do uh, the basic things that, that we need to do. Um, you know, basic cyber hygiene, having a program, knowing your business impact analysis, protecting properly the things that need to protect it, being properly resourced, all of that kind of thing solves about 98% uh, of those problems. If somebody is going to very deliberately come after you, um, they're probably going to get you because we have to be right 100% of the time. They have to be right only but once, right? Yep. yep. Um, but even if we miss that spot, if we have our proper program, we have our incident response place uh, in place and we have it's properly tested and all those kind of things. If we have our program, uh, then like I said, right, it turns into an eye roll and not a run down the street with your hair on. We know what we know what our recovery time is going to be. You know, you you give the heavy sigh. OK. All right, this is what we're doing today, and we'll get that get those systems back up online, and the impact is minimal, and we make the adjustments and move on. But that's that's the best that 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 we can hope for is you know keep our business up, know that when it happens we're properly prepared, we know what our recovery time is going to be, um, and we've done so deliberately, right? Yes, and I think that's some excellent advice. I mean, you can put your head in the sand and pretend that uh, everything's okay. Or you can actually do the work, figure out you know what you have, what you know what you need to protect, um, and then put a plan in place and and just execute on that. So um, it's all all great advice. Hey Brian, I really enjoy this conversation. Um, I'm sure we could probably keep talking here, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, already close to uh, about 45 minutes here. Um, wish I'd like to wish you and the rest of your team a great uh, you know end to 2022. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the for the time. I've really enjoyed it. Look forward to coming back. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.